a little bit like Moses right now, splitting the Red Sea. If you'd open your Bibles to uh, Colossians chapter 1. As you're finding your place, would you please stand? Uh, Would you just close those doors there for us, please? Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. Paul is, in this book, giving us a very accurate, very big view of who Jesus is. Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, And for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 18 again. And he is the head of the body, the church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we affirm the words of the Holy Spirit written through Paul to the Colossians so many years ago that You are the image of the invisible God. In you all the fullness of God dwells. In you the perfect man was made manifest to the world. You are the creator. You are the sustainer. You are the redeemer and savior of the world. And all of this makes you the head of the church. You are our leader. We submit to you. We seek to follow you. Oh God, help us as we endeavor to do this together. Help us to follow you with joy and gladness and thanksgiving, remembering always the example of your death by crucifixion on the cross and humble obedience to the Father your resurrection from the dead, and your exaltation above every name, that at your name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you be the Lord of this church? Give us hearts of servants. Help us to consider the gospel. Build up your church and add to our number day by day those who are being saved. I pray these things in the name of the head of the church, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So everyone has one of these. Just have it open with you as we go through it. Today is a, a very exciting day for the church. Uh, today we don't make drastic changes to the direction that we've been going for five years, uh, but we do solidify, make definitive, put on paper, uh, and really carve out for ourselves a, a, a distinct vision that has continuity with what we have been, but also lays the track for where we are going so that we will all know, and we will all know how we can contribute, how we can all throw our efforts together uh, in serving Christ being ambassadors of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, working together to go out into the world in which we live, the spheres of influence that God has put us in, to bear witness to the gospel of God's salvation that has saved us and put us into his kingdom. So we start with a passage like Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, because whenever you're thinking about the church, whenever you're going to talk about vision, and mission, whenever you want to think about what we might do or could do or should do, it always has to be contextualized under the head of the church, which is Christ. Uh, there's no need for us to be needlessly innovative. Uh, we can be creative in our application of the things that God has called us to do, absolutely. Uh, but, but the head of the church is Jesus, and he has given us the scriptures to tell us what he wants us to do. The Bible is so clear that Jesus is the head of the church. It's mentioned one time in 1 Corinthians, three times in Ephesians, three times in Colossians, and it's implicit throughout the entire Bible. Jesus is the creator of all things, visible and invisible. He is the source of life. He has purchased us with the blood of his cross. He is the head of the church. What do we mean, though, when we say that Jesus is the head of the church? I mean, isn't that abstract? Where, where is Jesus? I mean, he's not here in bodily form. He's here by the Holy Spirit. He, he's one with the Father and the Spirit. So obviously, Jesus is present with us by virtue of his union with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is here. But Jesus has ascended. And we're told very clearly in the scriptures that he ascended 40 days after he was resurrected. And until he returns, he's not here. At least not in bodily form. So what do we mean when we say that Jesus is the head of the church? Is this some theoretical sort of abstract thing that we have to say? No. Jesus is not the head of the church in theory. Jesus is the head of the church in fact. What we mean by this is that Jesus has ultimate authority. We submit to him. What we mean by this is that Jesus is our leader. He, he is our leader above any other leader. Now, how does 
Jesus exercise this headship? If he has authority and he leads, how does he exercise his authority? How does he actively lead us? Let me give you four ways that Jesus does this. Number one is by the Holy Spirit. That, that God has sent a, a, a comforter, uh, uh, an uh, instructor, the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if Jesus is going to exercise headship, we have to be indwelt by the Spirit. Jesus cannot exercise headship over people who are not indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And by that we mean that in a moment in time and space, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ individually. And then once we are put in Christ, because we've been regenerated, because we have given our sins to Christ, He has carried us in His body, at least our sins. He has died in our place. We die with Him. He rises from the dead, and we rise with him partially now, but our resurrection from the dead is yet to come. But we are so united with Christ that God indwells us personally. He is in us, the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we must walk in the Spirit. It's, it's possible for those who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit to quench the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave. But we quench them and we live out our carnal desires. We allow ourselves to operate according to our flesh, according to our sinful impulses, rather than according to the desires of our heart, which have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit. We must pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can keep step with the Spirit and submit to Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, this is not possible. We need him. And so we plead with him to come and to indwell us, to, to fill us, and to empower us to walk with him and in him. The second way that Jesus exercises his headship is by the scriptures. God is the author of this book, ultimately, written through many, many men over many centuries. But this is the book that the church looks to. This is the only curriculum of the church. This is what we want to uh, implement in our lives individually, into our lives as a family, into our life as a church. And so we affirm, if Jesus is going to be the head of the church, we affirm the supremacy of Scripture. There is no other book that we go to. And the sufficiency of Scripture. The Bible is enough. We don't need to go elsewhere. And when we implement the scriptures, Jesus is exercising headship over us. Third way that Jesus exercises his headship is through prayer. We submit ourselves daily to Christ by praying to the Father through him. That, that is a daily act of willful submission on our part to go before God and to say, uh, Oh God, you are God and, and I am saved by your mercy and your grace. Help me to be filled with the Spirit. Help me to walk by the Spirit. Help me to understand your Scriptures. Help me to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Help me to be obedient to your commands. Help me to be a good uh, member of the church, etc. We pray, which means that all decisions, whether it's personally or in your families or in the church, decisions need to be made with open Bibles and with prayer by the Holy Spirit if Jesus is going to exercise headship. 
There's a fourth way that Jesus exercises headship, and that is resources. Jesus will send us the people to do the things in the right time that he wants us to do. So if we don't have somebody who is particularly gifted or called in, in uh, discipling youth, for example, it's just a random example, well, then we don't launch a youth ministry. Uh, we, can only, we can only do what we are equipped and gifted to do. And so we have to look at ourselves, our, the human resources that God has uh, given to us, and God will add to, Jesus will add to our number people with particular gifts to do things that he wants us to do. You see, the thing about the Bible is there's so much that God has called us to do, we can't do it all at once. How do you know where to start? You start according to the resources that God has given you. First and most important resource is the people that God has sent. Um, and then secondly, the, the finances. We can't buy things that we have no money to buy. And so if we think, well, that would be a great ministry, but it's going to cost us uh, a certain amount of money. Well, if, if Jesus, the head of the church, really wants us to do that thing, we're going to find that we have the money. We're going to find that, that we're able to do everything that God wants us to do when we trust him and we submit to him. So, so yes, we want to do everything that God has commanded us to do, each in its time, according to the people and the resources that the head of the church gives to us. So having said all of this, we begin, if you look at your chart at the very top, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. Now this means then, when, when, when the elders of the church go to try and figure out what should the vision of the church be, really we're not trying to come up with a vision ourselves. Our goal is not to be uh, vision casters for the church. The head of the church reserves the right and the authority to set the vision of the church. And so our goal as elders is to seek the scriptures to, to uh, seek the Holy Spirit by prayer to, reveal, to, to uh, uncover, to explore, to, um, to find out what is the vision of Jesus Christ for the church. And you don't have to look very far to find out what that vision is. So it's there on your sheet or you can open up to Matthew chapter 28. We believe that this is the vision of every local church on earth, or it should be. So this is 40 days. This is happening 40 days after Jesus was raised from the dead. He's about to ascend up into heaven. So uh, verse 16, Matthew 28, 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. There's an affirmation of his headship, right? Because these 11 apostles plus Matthias and Paul are going to be the apostles of the church that set the foundation for every local church in every generation from the time that the church was birthed in the first century. But th those leaders of the church are worshiping Jesus. That affirms the headship of Jesus, just as we already have, even though some doubted. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave the original leaders of local churches the vision. And notice how he, how he frames it. Verse 18, he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's quite a statement. I, I have all power. I have all authority. I can ask you to do whatever I want to ask you to do. There's an affirmation from Jesus himself that he is the head of the church. Uh, he's, he's more than the head of the church, right? He is the head of all things. But here, he's the head of the church. He has all authority. Now, what would you do if God gave you all authority? It's an interesting question to contemplate. What do... What do men do over the, over the face of the earth right now when they have a, a little bit of authority, right? Maybe they're working on a nuclear weapon that makes them feel a little bit bold. They, we do all kinds of terrible things. But what does Jesus do with all of the authority that is given to him? With the authority given to me, says Jesus, I want you to go and make disciples. So what are we about at South Shore Church? What we want to be, what do we want to do? We want to make disciples. But we want we want to find people who, who don't know the Lord. We want to preach and teach the gospel to them. We want to see them saved and we want them to grow into maturity. That's the vision of the church. Make disciples of all nations. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, so we believe that as we go out and somebody becomes a, a Christian, uh, when, when they're regenerated, when, once they become believers and they're saved, we want to baptize them as their first act of submission to the head of the church. And then for going from there forward, we want to teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. That's what it means to make disciples. And where do you go? Do you just go to the red letters in the Gospels? We teach the whole counsel of God, the whole Bible. Jesus' commandments are, are given to us in all 66 books of the Bible. So that's, that's a tall order. With all authority, Jesus said, here's the Bible. I want you to learn it. I want you to live it. And then I want you to teach it. That's Ezra 7.10. Learn the word of God, then live it out, then teach it. That's what it means to make disciples, and that's what we want to do. And, and how do we do this? Is this task not too great for us? It's true, it is. It is too great for us in our own power, in our own abilities, in our own talents. But look at what Jesus says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He has departed. He has ascended to heaven, but he hasn't left us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit. And Christ is here among us, not in bodily form, but by the Holy Spirit. And so everything that we do is in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in the power of his grace. See, grace is not just forgiveness for past sins. It's the power that God gives us deep within by his Holy Spirit, to walk in his ways, to, to desire obedience, and then to live out that obedience, and then to teach others the same. So that's the vision. 
If we wanted to paraphrase this, we would say that the vision of South Shore is to know God and to make him known. It's not new. It's from the beginning. That's been the vision of South Shore. Uh, you want to take to know God and make him known. You want to say, well, what exactly does that mean? What we mean by that is the Great Commission, the vision of the head of the church for the church. So now, now that we know what we're about, now we know what we're, we're called together to do and to be, how are we going to fulfill this vision? How, how do we actually put legs and feet to this? How do we actually see that disciples are being made? Um, I forget what book it is in, but my wife has been sharing with me an illustration from a book that she has read. Imagine you had a shoe factory. So this is not from me, but I, I don't know who to, who to credit with it. Um, imagine you have a shoe factory and they say our vision is to make shoes and so the owner of the shoe factory goes away comes back you know let's just say 10 years later okay how's it going how many shoes have you made well two you have to think that well that's not a very fruitful use of, of their vision right they have all these resources but if they're not making anything then they're not actually accomplishing the vision there's a problem there and, and so the problem in the local church is we can have this great vision to make disciples but are we making disciples are we seeing people come to faith are we helping them to grow up in maturity in the faith are we ourselves growing and, and that's something we always have to ask ourselves right have i changed this year have i changed in the last three years have i changed in the last five years if, if you haven't changed then there's a problem somewhere uh not just with with you but with us because this process of making disciples never ends um, so that's the vision. How are we going to do this then? Uh, we don't want to be like a shoe factory that 10 years later has only made two shoes. We want to be cranking out the disciples. We want to be effective at this. How are we going to do this? Well, the first thing, if you read through the New Testament, is Jesus establishes leaders on earth. So he is the head of the church. He's the leader of the church. He's in heaven. His Holy Spirit is here. And and Jesus then says, well, if this is going to work, we need to establish elders. We need to establish overseers, shepherds, men who are charged with the responsibility to make sure that this vision is happening. So Jesus appoints qualified men to serve the local church as elders and overseers. Now, there's a big difference between elders in, in the local church and priests of the Old Testament. Elders are not priests. That is, we don't mediate your relationship with God. You don't have to go through the elders to get to Christ, to get to the Father. Good news is that every, we're, we're a, um, uh, the priesthood of all believers. What that means is literally that we all have direct access to God by the Holy Spirit through Christ to the Father. So the elders do not fulfill that function. Jesus Christ is the only priest he is the, the, the chief priest, the head priest, the high priest. He's the only mediator to be between God and humanity. But just because we are the priesthood of all believers doesn't mean there's not a, an organization that God has given us with some hierarchy in it. There is a hierarchy in the church. Now this is a hierarchy of servant leadership. Remember, the leader of the church died on the cross. That's the ultimate act of servanthood. 
So this hierarchy is not like a hierarchy in the world, right? Where you put the prime minister on top and whatever he says, he enforces it and he lords over his power over everybody else. That's not the kind of hierarchy we're talking about. However, I don't want to overcorrect too far and to say that, well, everybody's kind of on an equal playing field with equal authority in the local church because that's not true. Jesus has given headship. He shares his headship. Now, we're... Elders are underneath the headship of Christ. We are responsible. We're accountable to Christ. But he has given headship within the family to husbands and within the church to elders. And and so that is just a fact of the scriptures. That is how Jesus, the head of the church, has organized the body. Elders exercise headship. Now what does that mean? Well, what does it mean for Jesus to have headship? With headship, whether, whether you're talking about Jesus in the ultimate sense, or husbands and fathers in their family, or elders in the local church, headship comes with authority and with leadership. So that's the, that's the next thing that we need to see in, in moving forward. What's the vision for South Shore? Well, Jesus is the head of the church, and his under-shepherds are the elders. And we are... We are charged by Christ to exercise authority and leadership over this local church. Now, before you think that that, that would be a wonderful thing, that would just be a great thing to have authority and, and leadership, whether it's over a family or, or over a local church, I could tell you from 10 years' experience of headship in marriage and 12 years of headship in the local church, Headship is not something you you actually volunteer for. It's not something you really, really want. Headship is heavy. It's heavy. It keeps you up at night. And and if you do fall asleep, it wakes you up. And and you carry it around always knowing that you you are responsible. You're you're overseeing the the soul care of, of a local church. And you know, at the end of the age, when we stand before Christ, those who have been put in a position of headship, we have to give uh, an account. This is is not something that you glibly step into and say, oh, I'm the leader of the church, listen to me. It's heavy. And it's hard. And, you know, I don't know. I I don't want to give you a false statistic here, but anecdotally, more than half of the time, I I would just throw in my headship. It's hard. But I know that God has called me to this. So that's the way that Jesus is structuring his church. And you never ever want an elder who, uh, what would I say, who basks in his headship. 1 Timothy 3 says, those who desire to be overseers desire a noble task. So it's true, there should be a call, a subjective call to it. There's a desire, I have to do this, I desire to do it. But it, it's never something to be basked in. Now, what is the most important role of, of the eldership? What is the, the task of overseeing a church? Well, it is to equip and to empower the local church to do the work of the ministry. Uh, so, different 
different expressions of, of the local church have sort of twisted this. You, you know, pay for ministry models where the pastor or the minister does all of the work. Uh, or you might broaden that out and say, well, the elders do all of the ministry. That's not biblical. If you take a look at Ephesians 4, it's a great chapter. I can't read it all. I'm just going to read you verses 11 and 12. But the whole chapter is about unity without uniformity. We're united in Christ, but we're, we're given diversity of gifts. And so the, the, the whole goal of the local church then is in light of the gospel, that's chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians, in light of the gospel, what we need to do is everyone contribute their gifts in a unifying movement of the Holy Spirit to build up the church and to be a witness in the world. And the way that we do this is that the leaders of the church are charged to organize the body according to the diversity of gifts. And other things have to be taken into consideration, such as maturity in the faith. And so you look here at verse 11. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers. In other words, for our, point, for our uh, purposes this morning, leadership, elders, that there are no apostles or prophets. Evangelists are those who are going out. You might, we might call them missionaries. And then shepherds and teachers, those are the elders of the local church. So he's given elders, shepherds, and teachers. For what end? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip the saints. Saints, that's important. So, so the elders, we have to discern who's saved and not saved to the best of our ability. Because we're to equip saints. That is, those who have been saved, those who have been made holy for the work of the ministry. Saved people are to be doing the work of the ministry. And the goal of the ministry is for the building up of the body of Christ. And so, so your role in this is to look to the elders to say, hey, I, I want to use my gifts. I want to be a contributing member of this local church. And this, this is who I am. This is how God has made me. This is how far along I am in my spiritual journey. And I would like to be positioned within this body to make a contribution. And, and, and that's exactly what we want to do. So the elders equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, well, what ministry are we going to do? Uh, we looked all over the scriptures. Uh, in the fall, we're going to be going through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Those are the pastoral epistles. And so we're going to be looked to implement those epistles into what it means to be the local church at South Shore. But before that, back in the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, Jesus gives us, through Luke, a really excellent overview of the basic structure of the local church. Now, if you're reading through the book of Acts, it is structured this way. The first four chapters of the book of Acts, there's no mention of sin in the church. Now, I doubt that there was actually no sin in the, in the, in the early church, but there's no mention of sin. And so what we have in Acts 1-4 to is this Eden-like existence. It's when the church was pristine. So whenever you're reading narrative, you have to ask yourself the question, is this descriptive only, or is it prescriptive? That is, is this written because this is what happened, or is this written because this is how we ought to be? 
You've got to be very careful in the Old Testament between those two because so much of the Old Testament is not prescriptive. In fact, you're, we should do the exact opposite. But, but with Acts 1 to 5, you have four chapters where everything seems to be excellent. And then you have the fall of the church in chapter 5. Fall of the church, typologically, in picture form. You have Ananias and Sapphira, who are like a new Adam and Eve. And they sin. And from that point forward, whether you're reading in the book of Acts, or you're, you're reading in the epistles, there's been problems in the local church. So if we have problems ever at South Shore, it's not new to the local church. There's always been problems in the local church. But the way in which the book of Acts has been uh, written is that chapters 1 to 4, as much as they are descriptive, they are also prescriptive. Prescriptive. So the things that are described there, that's how we ought to be. That's what we ought to aspire to as a local church. Now, there are two sections in Acts 1 and 4, well, three actually, uh, one at the end of chapter 4, which is very similar to the one that we're going to look at in Acts 2. But there are, there are these three places where you get sort of summary statements. So what we're going to look at is when we try and figure out what we're going to do as a church, we want to look at uh, Acts 1-8 in its context, and we want to look at Acts 2-42 in its context. These two verses, in their proper contexts, are going to establish for us the basic structure of ministry at South Shore. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. And the driving verse that we're going to pull out of this passage is Acts 1.8. So we're back now to the ascension. You know how uh, our vision comes out of Matthew 28 and Jesus is ascending up into heaven? That's what's happening here. It's, it's uh, Luke's version of the same moment in time, the same hi historical experience. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, the context, then, of what we're going to look at is this. Uh, they're gathered together with Jesus, and they have a question. This is an important question. Remember, because Luke wrote the book of Acts, and we just went through the book of Luke. And remember what we said last week about the book of Luke. Central to Luke is what? The idea of kingdom. The kingdom of God. When is that going to come about? Uh, so they say, now, is now the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And what is Jesus' response? It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, no. No. 
Now is not the time when I'm going to fully manifest the kingdom. Now, I would just insert here, we, we are living in a form of the kingdom in that the king is reigning through the church. I, I appreciate that. But the full manifesta manifestation of the kingdom has not yet come. In fact, at the end, we're told that it will come when Jesus returns. Jesus is coming back. Why is he coming back? He's coming back, if you go back into Luke's gospel, to establish the kingdom, to come to judge and then to reign. So, so what Jesus is doing as he's ascending up into heaven, he's saying there's a gap. There's a gap between now when I ascend up into heaven and when I return to establish the kingdom. And in that time, that is the time of the local church. And the king will reign on earth through the local church. But it's not the full manifestation of the kingdom. But what does he say? He wants he wants to, if you want to think of it this way, he wants to establish embassies of this kingdom on earth. He wants to establish outposts of this kingdom on earth. He says, it's going to start in Jerusalem. I, I, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. I want you to establish an outpost of this kingdom, which is currently in heaven in its fullness, and it's going to come with Jesus when he comes. I want you to establish an outpost, an embassy for the kingdom on earth in Jerusalem. And once you do that, then I want you to, to take that, and I want you to do another outpost in Samaria. And another outpost in Judea, which is just north and south from Jerusalem. Samaria is north, Judea is south. In fact, I want you to have outposts for this kingdom all over the world. That's what we are, do you see? We are a continuation of what these apostles started. We are the outposts that started in Jerusalem, then went to Samaria and Judea, and then all over the world. And isn't it wonderful and amazing? It's miraculous, actually. It, only God could do it. We are an extension of that original work in Jerusalem. We are an outpost, an embassy. Now, the same impulse, we believe, Jesus wants us to have. He wants us, then, to establish this outpost, first and foremost. And then he wants us to give priority to proximity. Care for the city around you. So, Jerusalem, our Jerusalem is Barry. What are we doing as an embassy for the kingdom of God here in Barry? And then, and then he says, once you get that covered, I want you to take a look at uh, Samaria and Judea, Ontario and Canada. Just go out into your nation. What can you do in your nation for Christ? Okay? Now, keep moving out. Keep sending outposts further and further all around the world. And so when you think about the math, you have all these local churches all over the world uh, giving priority to proximity, looking after their city and then their region and then the world. And you have all this wonderful cross-pollination of embassies setting up new embassies all over the world. We want to be a part of that at South Shore. We want to do that. And so on that, if you look over to the far left side of your chart, we do want to be a church that takes seriously our call to missions. We want to establish outposts for the gospel in Barrie, in Canada, and the world. Now this is somewhat underdeveloped right now, and it may continue to be underdeveloped for a time. But under Barrie, we want to look at what local partnerships can we be a part of. Um, we want to say, hey, can we, can we offer something to the city in, in, the world, in the realm of adoption and fostering? How can we partner as we have with the Pregnancy Resource Center? And maybe there's some others. We also want to plant churches in Barrie. We're not, we're not looking to be a mega church here. We want to just keep spreading new embassies all over this city, all over this region, 
as God sends us people. And then we, we eventually, and we don't have any plans right now, but we have to think about what's our contribution to, to Canada. So we, we really need, because we're part of uh, the CNBC, Canadian National Baptist Convention, uh, we really need to have a meeting with North uh, American Missions Board because they're the CNBC Missions Board that looks at Canada and the United States. We've got to sit down with them and say, what, where, what are you doing and how can we partner with you? And then there's uh, the world. How can we go out into the world? Well, just like the North American Mission Board is, is uh, part of uh, the CNBC, we have to go meet with the International Missions Board because it's the CNBC International Missions team. We're going to say, what are you doing and how can we partner with you? That's completely underdeveloped and we may not get to that in the first year. But we've put boxes there so that you see that that's a vision that we have. So in some ways, that's outward looking. That's, that's what we hope, how we hope to expand as a church, or at least our influence as we send people out. But in order to expand, we first have to, we first have to establish this outpost here. We, we need to establish what God wants for us here in this local church. And for that, just flip the page to Acts 2.42. This is a summary of, of what the early church was doing in, before Ananias and Sapphira came along. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." This is how we want to accomplish our vision. We want to implement these verses. So really, these verses break down into four things. There's four things that we want to do. They're all captured in verse 42. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Those are the four things that we want to do. Now, could we do more things? We could do more things, but we can't do less. So that's where we're starting. We're going to start with these four things. Now, I just want to develop for you what, what does that mean? What does it mean that we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, the way that this, this passage is broken up is there's verses that, that define each of these curriculum points. So what is the apostles' teaching? Luke elaborates in verse 53. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So... That sort of fleshes out a little bit of, of what the apostles' teaching is. Well, how does that help? A couple of things. Uh, we're not necessarily expecting many wonders and signs. If God wants to do something among us, praise God. But it's the awe that is really important here. Awe came upon every soul. Why? As, as the apostles opened up, remember at this time, opened up the Old Testament and preached the gospel from the Old Testament. They were in awe of who Jesus was. 
They, they just couldn't believe that, that this Jesus had come. And, and as the apostles taught them, and, and their teaching is, is captured for us in the New Testament, but they were teaching from the Old Testament, right? The ministry of the Word was from the Old Testament, their Hebrew Bible. And as they're teaching the gospel from the Old Testament, they're saying, wow, this Jesus is amazing. I am in awe of him. And we really want the teaching at South Shore to be like that. We, we want us to be in awe of who Jesus is as we open the scriptures. How are we going to do that? Well, we're going to preach the word every week. And, and we are going to uh, intentionally look at ways of discipling our children, our youth, our women, and our men. And there will be lots of um, partnerships among the, these groups. These are not four isolated silos. Uh, so we want all ages to, to have some age-appropriate discipleship. We also want opportunities when we're all together as a family of God uh, being discipled together. We want times when men are alone being discipled and women are alone being discipled. And we want time where men and women come together to be discipled. We want to disciple um, husbands. We want to disciple wives. We want to disciple the youth. We want, we want everything. So it's going to take some time to sort of tease out how does that look? How do, how do we work that out? And we're going to need people to fill those boxes to help us out. Secondly, as we go over... The second thing is fellowship. What's fellowship? Fellowship's a word that gets thrown around a lot, right? A lot of churches have a fellowship hall, and what that really, really means is this is where we have coffee together. But, but that's not really fellowship. That, that's not fellowship. Fellowship is verses 44 and 45. All who believed were together, and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Fellowship is where you do all the one another ministries. The, the, the saints were together. So, so there is, I mean, having coffee is fellowship in that sense. It's just the very beginning of fellowship. You have to spend time with one another in order to fellowship. You can't go to church online. You have to be together. That's spend time together. Uh, but more than that, it's about sharing resources, doing life together, serving one another practically. So we've looked at this, as, and finances is a great example of fellowship. We each give money so that together we can lease this space. Together we can do uh, different ministry initiatives. Together you pay my salary. I'm in great fellowship with you because without you, I don't eat. I, don't, I can't put clothes on my family that's fellowship. That's biblical fellowship. Um, the facility. So we own isn't the right word, but this is our space together. This isn't the pastor's space. It's not the elder's space. It's not even the facility person's space. This is our space. We need, we need to work together in this space. All of our care ministries, one of the great strengths of this church, that's fellowship, doing life together. And then administration, as we communicate with one another and all this. Anything that's binding us together as one group, helping us to share our resources and serve one another, that's fellowship. We want to do that. That's something that Social does extremely well. We want to continue to do it very, very well. Uh, thirdly, breaking bread. Verse 46. I mean, because there's a lot of debate. What is breaking bread? Is that the Lord's table? It, I guess it is. But that's just one, one aspect of breaking bread. 
Because look at this, verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What I love about this is of the four things that Jesus really wants us to do, one of them is to eat together. I think we can do that. He just wants us to eat together. Find something, a grilled cheese sandwich, a soup, tea, water, doesn't matter. Just spend time to, to be around the table together. Why is this? This is very spiritual. Eating together is very spiritual. That's where intimacy happens around the table. Families that eat together are usually very close families. Families that don't eat together are not close families. So Jesus says, look, as a family of Christ, you get together, eat together. I love that. That's such a great, of, of, that's 25% of what God wants us to do in the basics. I love it. So we're going to eat together. And all of our hospitality ministries fall under that. Our potluck, our dinner for eight, showers, weddings, funerals, special events. There's always a food component there. It's us coming together to break bread together. So there's, there's that formal side, but there's also the informal side. We just really want to continually encourage one another to just invite people over to your home continually. All of us should be having people in our home eating food together. And it's very spiritual. Finally, we're told... The prayers. Verse 47 says, what do we mean by prayer? Praising God. So prayer in this context is more than just what we think of prayer. Fold the hands, close the eyes, lower the head, and dialogue with God. It's, it's about praising God. Corporately, in, the, in our local church, in the families. It's what we do on Sundays, basically. It's what families should be doing day by day in their home. Praising God. In a ma all manner of ways, verbally, with music, silently, all kinds of ways. So we want to be a praying church. And so our AV ministries, our music leaders fall under that, and then all the things that happen on Sunday. It's all part of us facilitating an opportunity for us to come together and to pray and to praise God together. Now you'll notice there's no evangelism box, and there's no prayer box in our traditional understanding of what prayer is. Let's deal with prayer first. Look at the top layer across the clear boxes. You notice something? Prayer. We're not going to create a silo for prayer. Now, are we going to gather for prayer? Yes. We're going to gather. We actually gather every Sunday. If you would like to come on Sunday at 9.15, we pray upstairs. Come and pray. Um, so, but we want to knead prayer into everything that we do. So we're going to be a praying church. Evangelism, what about evangelism? Well, evangelism is not a program. It's not a ministry per se. It's the responsibility of every member of the church. And corporately, what is our corporate act of evangelism? Our corporate act of evangelism is to do Acts 2.42. Because see, when, when we individually go out into the world to share Jesus with somebody, we have to have some place to call them to. The, the more we develop what God wants us to be doing together here, the, the easier our evangelism will be individually and even corporately as people get to know who we are as a church. So, so we're calling people to come and to join us in what we're doing in uh, submission to Christ. And individually we go out and we share the gospel and we invite people to our church. And notice this, that if, you, if we do these four things, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So evangelism and prayer are both there. Um, 
just not in an org chart kind of way. I have two questions that I want to answer, and then we're going to open it up uh, for you to ask questions. Uh, where are the deacons on this chart? Well, we haven't identified any deacons. Uh, we're not ready to identify deacons. We're still studying the scriptures to make sure that we understand what the, the role of deacon is. There's actually not a lot written in the Bible about the job description of deacons. Uh, so we're, we're, we don't have deacons. Now we'll, you say, well, how are deacons going to fit into this once you uh, arrive? Well, easily enough, we're, we're, we're doing what the scripture calls us to do. So God's not going to then add deacons and say, oh, well, you have to undo this other thing. It's, deacons are going to fit into here. Now there's a couple of options. It, it may be that some of the things that we've already identified will say, well, that's really a deacon position. What, that's deacon work. So we then may be able to label an existing box and say, that's deacon work, and we'd be able to say, okay, there's a deacon. Um, it may be that if you're a recognized servant in the church and you're not an elder, that you are a deacon. I mean, the deacon is a, the Greek word for servant. This is, for example, and I'm not saying that we'll go this way, but just for example, this is John MacArthur's position. He says, you know, we have elders and then we have servants, Elders oversee the servants. I think it's a legitimate option that we need to at least be praying through uh, as elders. Um, it may be that we may have to add a branch onto our uh, organizational chart or rearrange it a little bit, which we'll do. This is a living document. This is not the, the last word. It's the first word on how we're moving forward. Um, the thing is this, we want to be sure. We, don't want to, we, want, we do not want to go forward and implement an idea of deacon that is traditional but not necessarily scriptural. We, every one of us has an idea of what a deacon is. Uh, if we started talking about that, we might find out that we don't even agree on what a deacon is or what a deacon ought to be doing. So as elders, we just want to be absolutely certain before we start throwing words around just because it would make, uh, make it easier or feel better to say, well, we have elders and deacons. Uh, we are studying deacons. So please be in prayer for us. I'd love to take any questions on that. Second question is, can women fill any of these positions? This is a, a very sensitive question, isn't it? I want to answer it this way. It is good and right to empower and equip a woman to do any act of service in the church that does not require teaching or governing authority over a man. I, and I, I am just not able or willing to draw any firmer line than that. So yes, to answer your question, I don't know which box is exactly yet, but as we move forward, there will be recognized women in ministry at South Shore. But these women will not be exercising governing authority, and they will not be exercising teaching authority over men. Uh, but we want to empower our women, our gifted women, who are able to serve and we want to be the, this to be a place where women can flourish in ministry and, and contribute their gifts and their talents to, the, to the, the proper functioning of the body of Christ. Uh, therefore, uh, yes, you will see women in... Oh, actually, Janet's name is already there. So there, there's a woman in a, in a box. 
and you can expect probably to see more names of women in boxes. Now, we will be very careful to uphold Jesus' gender-specific mandates to men and women. I can promise you that, because our, our interest is, is in pleasing Christ and implementing his scriptures. So with those two questions answered, uh, I want to just pray for us, and then I'll give you some time to think, and we'll take as long as you have to answer or to ask questions, and I'll uh, do my best to answer. And if I don't have the answer, then I'll, I'll note it, and then we will, I think I have a pen, and I'll get back to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are the head of the church. I thank you that you um, have given us a very clear vision that we are to make disciples. I pray that you would help us to do that by uh, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching as preserved in the New Testament, reflecting on the Old, uh, in fellowship with one another, as we break bread with one another, uh, in all kinds of different places, in our homes, at the church, in other places, and as we pray and praise you. Lord, help us to be a faithful church. In Jesus' name, amen.